0: Hey, everyone. This is John Davis. Uh, I want to thank you for taking the time to listening to our sermon podcast. This week's sermon, uh, we we experienced some audio difficulties in the middle of it, and so about halfway through you're going to hear that. Uh, We tried to fix it to the best of our ability, uh, but just wanted to let you know that that that's going to happen as you listen. You can probably still make out everything, uh, but the quality this week is not uh, up to our usual standards, and so we apologize for that, and uh, we'll get that uh, done better next week, Lord willing. So thank you once again for listening, and uh, I hope you're blessed by this word from the Lord. Now once again, brothers and sisters, let's open up God's Word to 1 Corinthians together. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 once again. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to take one out of the pew in front of you and look at this with us, this New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. It's more toward the end of your Bible. If you're not familiar with the way a Bible is laid out, uh, the New Testament begins in Matthew and ends in Revelation. In between there, you've got lots of books One of which is 1 Corinthians. It's one of the bigger books, and it's closer to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John than it is to Revelation. So if you can find that with us, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 25 here in just a few moments. There were once two men who became Christians at the same time, and both for the first time started reading the Bible. The first man read through the Word of God and said, this changes everything. I need to get away from the world. And so he withdrew. He became a monk. He secluded himself on a lonely mountain. He read books and meditated for long hours. He went days sometimes without seeing another person. He disciplined his body and his mind never to succumb to temptation. And he lived out the rest of his days in that state. The second man read the same Bible, and after reading, said the same thing. This changes everything. Only for him, it meant to reach the world. Now, I need to become like the world. And so he did all the things that his non-Christian friends were doing. He indulged in all the forms of entertainment that they were indulging in. And in an effort to reach them, he became like them in every way and lived the rest of his days in that state. The day came when both men died and faced the judgment of Christ. The first man said, Lord, I kept myself unstained from the world. I did not love the world or the things in the world. I can honestly say I have a pure heart and mind. But Jesus looked at him with compassion and sadness and said, Did you not also read in my word of the second greatest commandment to love others or the great commission? The commands to serve others. The second man, when he came up to the Lord, said, Lord, I did all I could to reach others. I became all things to all people. I ate and hung out with the worst of sinners, just like you did. But Jesus looked at him with compassion and sadness and said, Did you not also read in my word of the commands to keep yourself unstained from the world, to not love the world or the things in the world, and to put to death? The deeds of the flesh. You see, one man was out of the world and had nothing to do with it. The other man was in the world and became like it. But, brothers and sisters, Christians are to be in the world, but not of the world. In the world, but not of the world. Let me show you what. Paul means, when he talks about this in our text today, we're going to read 1 Corinthians 7, verses 25 down through 31 today. The word of the Lord says, Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Now this morning, we're going to focus exclusively on verses 29 through 31. Uh, Reason being, those verses that come before that I just read, uh, last week and the weeks before, we talked about some of this stuff. Next week, if you look a little bit ahead, next week, Lord willing, we will have a message on singleness for the glory of God. And so we're not going to be talking about some of the things that Paul mentions in verses like 27 and 28. But look at verses 29 through 31. And the main thing that Paul is saying to all of us this morning through those verses is this. Do not live for the here and now. Do not live for the here and now. Look at verse 29. In verse 29 he says, The appointed time has grown very short. The appointed time has grown very short. Did you know the New Testament authors believed that they were living in the last days? They believed they were living in the last days, in the end times. 2,000 years ago, when they wrote these books that we read in our New Testament, they believed they were living in the last days. Let me show you just a sampling of what I mean from the New Testament. Hebrews 1, the very first couple verses of Hebrews, says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways... God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. In these last days, 2,000 years ago. Or from the same book, Hebrews 9, verse 26, says, Jesus has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11, later in this, this very book that we're in this morning, Paul writes, now these things happened to them as an example. And he was talking about the, the book of Numbers specifically there. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. And that's 2,000 years ago. Paul was saying to his readers, to the Corinthian church, the end of the ages has come upon us. And then 1 Peter 4.7 at the very beginning of that verse it says, the end of all things is at hand. Peter wrote that 2,000 years ago. The end of all things is at hand. So the question comes up, how could they think that? How could they be saying the end of all things was at hand? And it's been 2,000 years. Jesus hasn't come back. We've been going on and on ever since then. How could they believe they were living in the last days? Were they wrong? Were they mistaken? Is God's Word incorrect? Now, if you know what we believe about God's Word and what God's Word says about itself, there is no way that the Word of God can be incorrect in any way. So how could they have been living in the last days back then, and yet it's been 2,000 years since? Well, there's two senses in which they were exactly right. Number one is, we are and have been ever since the days of the New Testament, we are in the last age of this earth. We are now in the last age of this earth. I often call it the church age. It's the time in between Jesus' ascension... In Acts chapter 1, and Jesus' second coming, which we do not know when it's going to happen. Right? The time in between there is the final age of this earth and of time as we know it before eternity. Jesus ascended into heaven. The angels told the disciples who were there staring up at the heavens, He will return. He will return in the same way you just saw Him leave. But it's been over 2,000 years. He's not back yet. We don't know when he will come back, but we are in the final age of this earth, the church age, as we often call it. And so there is a very true sense in which back then, just as today, it is the last days. Right now, it is the last days, the last age of this earth. But it's also true in another sense, because our lives are a mist. Your life is a vapor it appears, and then it is gone. Your time is short. It is the last days for every single one of us. When we consider the length of time, eternity will be. You know how people sometimes say, it seems like only yesterday. You ever say that? It seems like only yesterday they were in diapers. It seems like only yesterday the kids were still in the house. It seems like only yesterday my body worked like this, or whatever. You know, we say it all the time. It seems like only yesterday. Well, think about how short this life will feel when we've been in heaven for 100,000 years. 100,000 years seems like forever. That's nothing. It's eternity. It never stops. It keeps going. How short will this life feel when we've been there for that long? Like a snap of your fingers. Do you know the, uh, the longest highway in America is I 90. I don't know if any of you have ever driven on that. It stretches from Boston, Massachusetts, all the way to Seattle, Washington. So apparently, I've never been on it. Apparently, you can drive from Boston to Seattle if you just keep driving. How long must that be? It's 3,000 something miles. But just for illustration purposes, let's say you were standing on that highway, no traffic, you're standing on that highway, you reach down and you pick up a pebble-sized piece of asphalt from that highway. If you consider the length across that little pebble compared to the length of that entire highway, you would begin to understand the length of this life compared to eternity. I say you would begin to understand. Because even as vast of a difference as that is, it is not as vast of a difference as the length of this life to eternity. Do you think life seems long? Do you think it seems like forever until something's going to happen? Kids, do you ever feel like this? It's going to be forever until I'm an adult. Forever until I can drive. Forever until I can make decisions for myself. just seems like this keeps going on and on. When we've been in heaven... For 10,000 years, we will look back on this life and just think, what a blink of an eye that was. And so why does this matter? What's the application for our everyday lives? Well, there's, there's probably tens and dozens and hundreds. Let me give you one, one application of that. What does it really mean practically? Well, it means we should risk more for the Lord and for the salvation of others. I mean, think about it. If this life really is going to seem that short, what are we doing making ourselves more and more comfortable every day when salvation and eternity is on the line for people that we're walking past every day? Risk more for God for His glory, and for the salvation of others, if this life genuinely is that short, if we will look back and we will think, that was nothing, then the suffering of this life, or the comforts that we went without, will also be as nothing compared to eternity. Think about those in Scripture who risked it all for the glory of God. Do you think they are regretting that now? Do you think... Paul regrets, like he said, spending himself and being spent for the gospel and the good of others? No, he doesn't regret it for one second. Do you think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego regret looking King Nebuchadnezzar in the face and saying, we don't care if you throw us into a fiery furnace. We are not bowing down to any image. We will not worship anyone or anything but the one true God. He is able to save us, but even if he doesn't, We're not bowing down because we're not throwing away our eternity for a little bit of comfort now. It's not worth it. On the flip side, think about the Israelites. On the edge of the promised land in Numbers 14, God tells them to go in, tells them to take it, and He will be with them. And yet, they see the people who are in the land and they say, no, we can't do this. They were not trusting enough trusting God enough to risk entering the promised land, and so instead they wasted 40 years and thousands of lives in the wilderness. But do you remember two men? Of all the people, there were two men that were faithful. There were two men that trusted God. Two men that God said, they, after the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, they will enter into the promised land, while the rest of the people 20 years and upward will all die. Who were the two men? It was Joshua and who? You remember? Caleb. Caleb. Listen to this. After the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, and five more doing other things here or there, they come back to the edge of the promised land. They're ready to take it. And they're going in. And they're seeing what God is doing for them. They're in the midst of it. They've already taken the city of Jericho. And in Joshua chapter 14, starting in verse 6, We read this, Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. Kadesh Barnea was the place they were at 45 years ago. I was 40 years old, Caleb said, when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers, who went up with me, made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me. This is still Caleb talking. The Lord has kept me alive just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and for coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim, were there with great fortified cities. Watch this. Caleb says, It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. You see what Caleb's doing there? He's saying, Joshua, do you remember 45 years ago? God said he was going to give me this. I believe him. So I'm 85. I'm old, but I've still got energy. Let me go up. I'm going to take him. I'm going to do it. And I might die but I might not. God might give him into my hand. And let me tell you what happens. He goes in the confidence of the Lord, and God gives the people of that land into the hand of Caleb and all those who went up with him. He defeats them. He takes the land for himself, and he lives many more years after. Don't you want to live like that? Risking it for God? He's 85 there, and he says, I might die. If I die, I go to see the Lord. I'm going to look back on my life, and it's it's as a mist, as a vapor. What am I doing, spending all my thoughts and all my time and all my energy on making myself more comfortable? It's not going to matter for all eternity. When we've been there for 10,000 years, we will not care who laughed at us for sharing the gospel with them. We will not care if we had a nicer home or a nicer car. We will not care if we had all the comforts of the American dream. When we've been there for 10,000 years, we will not care how much money we kept or how much we spent. Only what lasts for eternity will matter. Look at verse 31 with me in our text. 31, at the very end of 31 Paul writes, for the present form of this world is passing away. The present form of this world is passing away. John says the same thing in 1 John 2.17. The world is passing away along with its desires. Remember last week how Paul told us to bloom where we're planted? He said, focus on what's right in front of you. Excuse me. Focus on what's right in front of you. Don't, Don't miss what's right in front of you, what God has put in front of you always wishing that your circumstances would change, always wishing for the future. But now Paul's saying, live for the future. Live for what's coming. And brothers and sisters, there's a biblical way to do both. There's a biblical way to do both. On the one hand, it's true, we can't miss what God has put right in front of our faces, always wishing for something else down the road. can't miss the ministry opportunities The opportunities to love people and serve people that he's put right in front of you, always wishing for something to change. Only then can I serve the Lord. But at the same time, at the same time, we've got to have an eye toward eternity, always remembering that everything that happens in this life does not matter as much as it seems, does not matter as much as the world says it does, and will not matter as much as it feels like it matters now when we've been there for 10,000 years. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, Jesus said. Don't love the world, the Apostle John said. Don't work for the food that perishes, Jesus said. We are strangers and exiles here, brothers and sisters. We're strangers. We're exiles. We're like the Israelites. The Israelites, after they'd lived in the Promised Land for decades, turned away from the Lord. And the Lord brought King Nebuchadnezzar and the nation of Babylon to take them over and to cart them off, to live in a foreign land, to live in a foreign place, Babylon. And once they got there, the prophet Jeremiah said to them, you're going to be here for a while, so put down roots, build houses, make families, work for the welfare of the city in which you live. It's not your home. It's not your home. It's a foreign land. It's going to feel foreign, but you need to put down roots there. That's in the world, but not of the world. That's what he was saying to the Israelites. We're like them. We are strangers and exiles here, brothers and sisters. This world is not our home. This country is not our home. Your house is not your home, ultimately. right? It is, but it's not. And so we live with that tension. We're in the world, but not of the world. We're strangers and exiles here, and that's the way it's supposed to be, because we're not living for the here and now. Remember last week we said the most important thing about you is not your identity in this world. It's your identity in the kingdom of God. Just up above our text today in verses 22 and 23, remember Paul said the slave is free in Christ. And the free man is a slave to Christ. The world in this present form is passing away. Now, when Paul says that to some of us, That's a a challenge. To some of us, when we hear the world is passing away, it should come as a strong challenge to the way we're living. And to some, it should come as a deep encouragement. Let me tell you what I mean. To some of us, we're comfortable right now. Life is comfortable. Life is good. We enjoy life for the most part. And for those of us who are in that season of life, Paul says the world and the form of this world is passing away. And so if you're comfortable now, Paul is challenging you. God is challenging you this morning to forsake the comforts of this world for things that will matter for all eternity. What does that mean for you? If you are in a comfortable state right now in life, many of us are, what does it mean for you that this world is passing away? How is God calling you, challenging you to sacrifice the comforts and the pleasures of this world for things that will matter for all eternity. But then there are those who are suffering now. There are those who are not comfortable. They're in great suffering right now. They're in a season of life that's extraordinarily hard. And to those people, Paul says, and God says, the present form of this world is passing away. Just hold on a little longer. It's not always going to be like this. There will be a time trust me, there will be a time when you look back and you say, that was suffering, but it was short, and it was worth it. Brothers and sisters, we say this all the time, but which would you rather have? 90 years of comfort and pleasure followed by an eternity of suffering? Or 90 years of suffering followed by an eternity of comfort and pleasure? Which one is worth it? The present form of this world is passing away. Don't live for the here and now. Now notice in our text too, notice in verses 29 through 31, how he goes through five different situations in life. He starts in verse 29, he says, From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. Now, this can be confusing when you read it at first. How are we supposed to do this? I mean, I'm married. How am I supposed to live as if I don't have a wife? Especially considering the other parts in the Bible that tell me to honor and serve and love my wife as Christ loved the church. And to use our marriage as a way to glorify God and the gospel to the rest of the world. Right? So don't, don't misunderstand what Paul's saying here. He's not saying, men with wives, just go live like you're single. Right? He's not saying that. All right? Those of you who are grieving, perk up. Don't be sad. Be happy. He's not saying that. Those of you who are rejoicing, quit that. Wipe that smile off your face. Right? He's, he's not saying that. Those of you who have possessions, don't use them. It's not what Paul's saying here. I mean, just think about the, the men with wives part. If you go out and start living like that, we're going to have to bring you up on church discipline. Not to mention the, the personal life problems that you're going to cause for yourself and the sin that you would be in. That's right? not what Paul is saying. What he's saying is there's a difference between things with ultimate importance and things with relative importance or temporary importance. Okay? We do not live for the here and now. These things, all of these things, marriage, rejoicing, mourning, Buying, selling, dealings with the world, these things have a temporary importance. But what we live for, brothers and sisters, what we live for are things that will last for eternity. So, if you are married, enjoy your marriage. Love and serve your spouse. Stay faithful to your spouse. But beware of putting your hope in your marriage. Beware of putting your ultimate hope in your spouse. Marriage, Jesus says, is temporary. In Matthew 23, Jesus tells us there will be no marriage in eternity. Now, I firmly believe that those of us who are married will still have a strong bond with that one that we had the strongest of bonds with here on earth. I still believe that will happen in eternity. But Jesus says there will be no marriage and no giving of marriage, giving of people in marriage in eternity. If you're mourning and rejoicing, we mourn and rejoice all the time, right? Things happen in this world that cause us to mourn or cause us to rejoice. But brothers and sisters, the outlook of our lives is not defined by worldly circumstances. For those of us who may be mourning, we don't mourn and grieve as those who have no hope, right? Our losses do not devastate us because our hope is not in those things. They're real losses. They hurt. They genuinely do. We don't minimize the hurt that losses cause. caused. We don't tell people, quit being sad. No, that's not healthy. But at the same time, even the deepest loss in this world does not devastate us. does not end our hope. We take joy in all kinds of things, do we not? There's all kinds of things to rejoice about. Paul says in the book of Romans chapter 12, rejoice with those who rejoice weep with those who weep that's part of how we we're being the church to one another right there's all kinds of things to mourn or things to rejoice in but our happiness brothers and sisters does not rise and fall with worldly events it cannot if we are christians think of a a man who has wrapped himself up so much in the performance of his favorite sports team all right when his favorite sports team wins, he's great to be around everybody loves being around him and he's happy and he's treating everybody really well. But if they lose, don't talk to him. You better avoid him for a couple days. I'm serious. Like that, that will actually affect the way that he treats people he loves. The performance of a sports team playing a game, a team full of people he's never even met. It'll affect the way he treats people in his real life. Our happiness does not rise and fall with worldly events. Let's think about possessions and dealings with the world. Right? We use things like money and possessions. Even those of us who are Christians, we have to. We live in this world. It's the way the world works. Right? We have jobs. We buy things. We support other people in their jobs so that they can make their livelihood. It's the way the world works. But those things are not to be an end in themselves. We are not to find our happiness to find our identity in those things. Woe to us if we spend the rest of our lives, after having heard this word, woe to us if we spend the rest of our lives working to buy nicer things, to have a more comfy home, a more comfy life, so that we can put our feet up and coast to heaven. Brothers and sisters, I cannot guarantee you you're going to. That is what you are doing. God has called us to live this life, to steward the things that he has given us for his glory and for the salvation of other people. And when we look back on our lives, it will seem like just a blip when it comes to the time that we spent here on earth. How are we using it? We are to be in the world, but not of the world. On the one hand, You can't seclude yourself off from the world. You can't get away from it all. You can't just stay back and say, nope, I'm not participating. There's too many things in this word that we read where Jesus tells us, where God tells us, you've got to go in. Jesus prays for his apostles in John 17. He knows he's about to be taken away to his death. His last prayer for his apostles, he says, God, I do not pray that you would take them out of the world. Just pray that you would protect them in it. We're in the world. We can't Retreat from the world, and we have to go in. We have to affect people for Christ. But on the other hand, we cannot be attached to the world. We cannot be of the world. In the words of those deep, winsome poets of the 1980s, 38 special, hold on loosely. We keep ourselves detached. We are to remain unstained, James says. John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. So here's, here's what it means in a nutshell. If you live long enough, life will take away many of the things that you have in this world. If you live long enough, that's just what happens. Life's going to take it away. Your job, your health, those you love, the things you love, the abilities that you have that let you do the things that you love. If you live long enough, life's just going to take those things away. And if your hope and identity were wrapped up in those things, you will be devastated. You will not know how to carry on. But if you put your hope and your identity in Christ, in something that the world and life can never take away, then when life does take away those things, it will hurt, yes, but you will be able to go on, to be able to live, Your hope, your identity was not taken away. Because it was found in something that can never be taken away. Jesus Christ. This lesson that Paul gives us, to be in the world and of the world, ultimately points us to Jesus. Our ultimate example. The one who lived this out perfectly. It points us to the one who said, Do not work for the food that perishes. The one who said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. To the one who, when someone came and said, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside, he said, who are my, bro- my mother and my brothers? Whoever does the will of my father, those people are my mother and my brothers. It points us to the one who did not have a place to lay his head. Why? Because he knew that wasn't important. That wasn't what was truly important. Jesus knew that this life is a temporary thing, so he didn't even have a place to lay his head. In Hebrews 12, verse 2, we read this. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Notice it says, He endured the cross for the joy set before him. Jesus went to the cross. How could he endure what we talked about earlier? How could he have endured the greatest suffering anyone has ever experienced? How could he have done that? Only for the joy set before him. He turned his eyes on the future He knew what was coming on the other side. It's worth it if I can hold on. It's worth it for the joy that will come when this is all over. And brothers and sisters, because he endured, focusing on the joy that awaited him, now we can endure. Focusing on the joy that awaits us. Only because he endured, by focusing on the joy that awaited him, can we now endure. Focusing on the joy that awaits us. And so brothers and sisters, what will you do with God's word to you today? What will you do? Will you say, oh, that was nice. Go back out of here and nothing's different. Will it make a difference in your life? How would it change your everyday life? How would it change your Monday? if you lived Monday in light of the fact that we will have been in heaven for 10,000 years and we will look back and we will think that was nothing. It was here and gone our entire lives. How will it change the way you live? What will you do with God's word to you today? We're going to spend just a few moments in silent prayer responding to God to that very question. What has he laid on your heart? What will you do? How do you need to respond to what God is speaking to you? After a few moments of individual response and silent prayer, we'll come back and we'll have a time of public response in our invitation song. So let's pray together now, Simon.